Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. Before we get into our Bible study, just a few things personally. Uh, my name is Daniel Williams. I do pastor at Redemption Church, and I just want to just start by saying thank you. It's always nice to be asked to come back. You know what I'm saying? A few weeks ago, I was able to share God's word with you uh, unexpectedly, but to cover my good dear friend, your pastor, uh, Andrew, and um, sharing just dealing with disappointment in prayer and thinking through um, our walk with Jesus and how we talk to him. And sometimes life just doesn't go as it is expected. Um, and so this Teaching time is actually a specific plan time because Andrew did have some intentionality with investing in his son, uh, but also investing in uh, the, the, the children of God here and praying for you and knowing that he was going to conclude the book of Ephesians. Uh, we have another topical message. So that's why we find ourselves in the Gospel of Luke chapter 7 today. And I want to thank you because last time I was here, I had the opportunity to share and be vulnerable with you about just how God closed the door for our church uh, for a meeting space. And I was able to share with you that information and share that information with my church that night. Um, And uh, God, you know, the Bible says hope deferred weakens the heart. But yet when we have expectations that aren't met, God always meets us in that. Uh, Just because there's pain and suffering does not mean God is not with us. And actually, in the midst of it, he promises to be with us. And our church is doing well. We're still on the goal of making disciples in Delray Beach and loving people and serving people. And um, I just want to thank you guys for your prayers. Uh, I, I, I understood this and knew this coming in. And when I taught last time, I just want to tell you, I felt the anointing of God as I was speaking a prophetic word to your church in that moment. And that's what I'm really praying for today as well. Uh, it does matter when we do pray. And it does matter how people respond to what God wants to do in their life as you commune with him, even your disappointments. Uh, We saw even a prophetic word that night for our church that God would place us somewhere else. And so we're like, okay, God, wherever you are and wherever you want to place us is where we want to be. And I just pray that it would also be a discipleship moment, not just for our church, but other churches in the community. It's been a little bit disappointing and bummer as I keep continually meeting people. And they're like, so how's the building going? You teaching on Sunday? I'm like, yes, I am. Just not at my church. At another one, you know. So, uh, But I am glad to be here. And I thank you for that, uh, for your prayers and for just um, being able to be in partnership Not only to be asked back, but obviously Pastor Andrew and I have been in partnership and ministering here in this area for a long time. And uh, it's a blessing to come and fill um, his shoes and to be able to point you to Jesus through his word. Uh, The second thing I want to just mention before we get into God's word, and it does deal with our study today, um, is just a testimony of Alpha. Now, I've already met with Dan, who's going to be a key leader in Alpha and running that. Uh, You guys may know that word. Uh, It's a Greek word. It's like Alpha and Omega the beginning and the end. It's a starting point or the beginning for a lot of people. And oftentimes we forget that, that we grow in the knowledge of the, uh, of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And uh, Alpha is an opportunity to practice love, care, and hospitality for those in our community to ask questions, to hear what the Bible teaches about who God is, who Jesus is, who's the Holy Spirit. How do you commune with these uh, the, the person of God and with one another and how are we reconciled and how do we have beauty and, and these type of things in our life living for God. And so it's this great space, 
not only for your friends to come to, what we've seen in our church as we started running Alpha uh, is it also is good if you are a Christian because it is a great, solid, biblical message of just looking at God's word and answering questions. I don't know about you, but I got some questions. Sometimes I'll be reading the Bible and he's in the pastor. I'm like, what in the world? What does this say? What's going on over here? Like, uh, it's good. And it actually creates a platform or a space to love one another in a safe and caring, loving way. And just to have a meal with people, to talk, to process, and to disciple people by asking questions and answering questions. And the beautiful thing about Alpha, and if you want to participate in running that, is you don't have to know everything. You just have to love people that ask questions. And I, I pray that, that Alpha, as you guys run that program uh, and that ministry, that it not only would touch people in our community's life, as it's touching a lot of people's uh, people in, the, in this community, but that it would actually do something in your heart as well. That this would be a space in a church, in a community, that we can take our pain, we can take our questions, and we can process and have space to love one another and to deal with doubt and to talk through in a loving way and have fellowship with not only God, but one another. And it creates a culture to look to the Lord for answers. Jesus is the answer. He's the center of it all. We always want to exalt him in our gatherings and lift him up. And so uh, we want to make disciples. We want to be on mission. The Great Commission is to go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the, name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like, in everyone we know, we want them to know Jesus but we also want to do it in a loving, caring way. Because not only do we have a commission to do, but we have a, a commandment to do. And we, the way that we do things matters. And you know what? You can give a lot of people a great amount of love just by listening, by caring, by having a meal, by enjoying them. And so it's more than just a program. It's relying on the Holy Spirit, praying, and asking God to save people. And I pray that that is your culture here at Solace that you would want to lift Jesus up, not only in our gatherings as we gather together, but that you would take the word in your heart and not sin against the Lord, but express that, because out of the heart, the mouth speaks to those and proclaim Jesus to those in our community. So those are the two things. Super simple. That was like a pre-message, wasn't it? That's so great. All right, uh, Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, verse 33 through 35. Uh, today I want to talk to you about discipleship. And I want to put something in your heart and on your radar about what Jesus did so you can look to him and see that you can do this as well. It's so common, it's so non-glorious, so something you may be familiar with that you may not think it's holy. Today I want to talk to you about being on mission with meals. Being on mission, the Great Commission, with meals, with food. You're welcome. Lunch is coming, okay? But Jesus, we see in this text, used something as ordinary as eating meals to make disciples and love people. This great commission, this great commandment, something super ordinary, but yet so profound. And I think this is going to be a real encouragement for us because I know it was for me as I began to see, like, I can do this. I can enjoy other people and have a strategy of being intentional by simply not adding something to my calendar, but I'm already doing something like eating and using it for God's glory. So this is what I want our framework and our mindset to be as we sort of talk about the great commission of loving people, of caring people, of, of lifting Jesus up. We're going to look to his life, Jesus' life, and just see one simple example 
and dive deep into this aspect of being on mission with Mills. Sound good? Sound good to me. Luke chapter 7, verse 33 through 35, we'll do this. We'll read the text, we'll pray, and then we'll study as we always study God's word as we, in our gatherings here this morning. Uh, Jesus is saying this, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he was a demon. But the Son of Man, well, he has come eating and drinking, and now you say, look at him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you are the great teacher. We ask for anointing, for power, for a clean heart to speak forth your word, that are eternal truths, that we would see Jesus and how he interacted with people, Lord, be reminded of his love that he wants to interact with us today and use us for his glory. So Holy Spirit, will you magnify Jesus? Will you use my words? Jesus, we thank you for being in our midst because we know when two or more are gathered, you are here with us. Lord, we're a part of your body. One aspect in this community, in this global church that billions of people are worshiping you. Even before the throne, Lord, for eternity, we'll be crying, Holy, holy, holy. Help us to realize this is set apart. This is a holy space. We continue to worship, Lord, through the study of your word now. And so, Father, thank you for bringing people here for salvation, for being a good God. We love you, Lord. And we pray that you be glorified as we Continue to have your spirit minister to us and learn from you, God. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. I may have to move around a little bit, you know, because it is cold over here, right? Um, in this text, Jesus is talking. Let's do some text work and show just how important this is in his ministry and what it means to us today. Uh, he was glorifying God in the everyday stuff of life. Uh, this was a part of his ministry, and having meals was an important aspect. Jesus lived a very intentional life, and you see this as he got interrupted a lot in ministry. Now, you may know a lot of the stories from the Gospels. Here's a couple examples. The woman at the well, John chapter 4, Samaritan woman. It said The text says he had to go through Samaritan, Samaria to talk to this lady. There was strategic things that the Holy Spirit would place on his heart, like a woman would touch his robe. He would say, stop, powers come from me. The Jesus disciples would say, no, we got to go over here to heal someone. He would say, no, let's just take time to make sure we know God is moving right now. He would actually talk to another woman and speak hope into her. There would be times when his disciples would be fighting, and he'd be like, this is a great teaching moment. Let's talk about how we should be great. You know, they lord over you, but, you know, you shouldn't lord over them. And he would just constantly be interrupted. It doesn't matter if it was going to the temple. Let's make a whip and let's, let's cause a little trouble. You know, he would go through tragedy. John the Baptist, his cousin, the one that he speaks about here, would be beheaded. And he would take time to seek God in prayer or seeing his friend Lazarus die and then saying, Let's wait so God can get the glory and raise him from the dead. You just see Jesus doing supernaturally natural stuff all the time and embracing interruption and embracing normal life. 
Because I know that everyone wants the scale to be up and right all the time, but that's just not how life works, is it? Life is just, is there a scale? <laughs> you, you go, and then you have these moments, and then you go back, and then forward, and all this different stuff, and we praise God and thank God that he's sovereign, and he works within our life, which is broken, but he does work. And Jesus shows us that we can actually live an abundant life in this brokenness because Jesus worked in the midst of a broken world, the world that you and I are so familiar with, just different context, different generation, different country, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he has this ministry of teaching disciples, everyday lessons, making disciples in the everyday stuff of life. And his disciples would have understood this in the Great Commission after he rose from the dead and said, go therefore and make disciples. They would have naturally understood the language meaning as you are going. Not just like go, therefore because of all of this, as you are living, point people to me. Show them the beauty of me. Show them how to follow me. Walk in the everyday life of stuff and just give God glory. And the Apostle Paul would pick, on, pick up on this as he's being redirected all over Europe and Asia and planting churches and sharing the gospel. In one church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, you may be familiar with this verse. Paul would say, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Live intentional. Be on mission, make disciples in your life. Not like in other people's lives and not like in a perfect life. In this life that God has called you to this place, in this generation, in this moment, right now. God doesn't want you to compartmentalize your faith. And we see Jesus never did that. He lived for God and had a ministry out of who he was. But oftentimes we don't think this way. We think bigger is better. If I'm really going to make an impact for God, man, man, I, I need God to like call me and equip me to be a pastor, not a parent. Oh, how we are so wrong, aren't we? A parent is a calling. It's a ministry. It's the grace of God, the gift of God. And we need the filling of the Holy Spirit to do the things God has called us to, even the hardship of changing some dirty diapers. Can I get an Amen. Jesus is correcting this false thinking through his practical living that what we're called to do by God is great, whatever it may be. And he gives this example to the religious leaders in this text about John the baptizer, John the Baptist. He, he, he's like, listen, John the Baptist, he didn't eat bread. He didn't drink wine. He was a little weird. Let's just be honest. Other texts tell us John, like, had some honey, which is cool, but then he also like dipped it with some locusts. Really weird. Grasshoppers, right? He's out in the wilderness. He's doing his own thing, but yet he had a great ministry, and Jesus affirms this because in this chapter, verse 28, Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. But yet, because John looked weird, he was unusual, the religious leaders thought he had a demon. They thought he was weird. He was unusual. And what's interesting is we, even as people of God, can idolize people like John. Those that draw the crowd, 
that speak, that are a little unusual. Maybe they, they have a, a, a speaking gift or something that's different about them, and, and we just idolize them and say, wow, God, I just want to be like that. But everyone isn't called to be an amazing worship leader and know how to play the guitar like an angel, like Jimmy. Okay, let's just be real. Can we still be used by God if we don't have a certain great talent or maybe unusual or weird? We may say, well, I wish God could use me like that. I, I, I wish I had those talents. And yet Jesus says right here in the text, as we just contextualize Luke, I'm going to come in such an ordinary way that you're going to miss it, so I'm going to make sure that you know it. John came not eating, not drinking, but I'm going to come and do some regular stuff so the regular people, broken people, hurt people, can do the mission I call them to do. And I'm going to show them that I use weird people and non-weird people. I use the super gifted and the non-super gifted. I am God. I can do whatever I want. Let me just show you something real quick. Normally, religious people didn't associate with sinners. Like sinners, like everyone, you and I. But they actually have some name-calling going on in this text of these type of people. And we see Jesus accept those type of people. Why? Because he's a God of love. He cared about them. It was grace. He accepted the tax collector, not because of the tax collector's behavior, but because who he was poured out his heart and loved him and cared for them. We weren't good enough to go to heaven, so the Bible says Jesus left heaven and came to earth and dwelt among us. Grace. This is a strategy, and it's important to understand who Jesus is. Because the first thing I want you to know that when we think about Jesus and the strategy is doing lunch for Jesus was doing theology. This short little statement that he is actually rebuking to religious leaders who would know scripture and theology, Jesus is actually pointing out, well, this is the practice of knowing who God is and loving people and serving them. You see, God gives us doctrine, and we have the doctrine like God is love. But Jesus with sinners is putting that doctrine into practice. We know that God is love, 1 John. But 1 John also said God displayed his love by sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. You may know this in other gospel. John, the, the love doctor, right? He's the guy that always emphasizes love. In the beginning of his book, John 1.1, 1, 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have now seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Oftentimes, we're really good with truth in, in, in Christian, right? We have the truth. We have the Bible. Let's open it up. Grace and truth. We have doctrine, but Jesus is saying you have to practice, religious leader. You can't just learn, learn, learn. It puffs up. You got to pour out, and you got to practice what grace is. You got to show people love. This is what Jesus' life is doing, John 6, 38, Jesus would say, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is showing people, even you and I today, practically what does God look like? What would he do if he was in this situation? Colossians 1, 
15 and 19 says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Hebrews 1.3 says that he's the exact imprint or radiance of God's glory. Jesus shows us God in flesh, or the gospel writers would say he's Emmanuel, God with us. And he's saying, what I'm doing is what God would do to display a key doctrine like grace. He would eat with people. He would show care. He would love in these ways. An example of this is in Luke chapter 7, where he was welcomed by sinners. He welcomed a sinner in this passage, and this is why he's confronting it and using that interruption to share this truth. But in Luke chapter 19, sinners would welcome him. There was a mutual love and care, and people were just uncomfortable with how gracious Jesus was. People even called him names. The text says, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He went where sinners were and expressed love to them through a meal. Now, a meal has to do more than food. You have to realize this contextually and even practically understanding this. Um, because you can have a great meal and not have a great plate of food. Proverbs fifteen seventeen sort of speaks about this idea. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred at it. So often we enjoy a meal not because of the atmosphere or because our taste buds are going off, but because of the people we are around. Now, last time I was with you, I gave you a recommended book. I'll give you another one, Tim Chester's book. It's called A Meal with Jesus. A Meal with Jesus, because Jesus expressed so much love and disciple-making through meals. And Tim Chester, in his book, he says, few acts are more expressive of companionship than the shared meal. Someone with whom we share food is likely to be our friend or well on the way of becoming one. We usually associate with people who we like and share a meal with them, right? You have family dinners. Hey, after service, let's invite these friends over. Let's associate with them. This word um, companion even means from the Latin, it's a breakdown. There's, it's come and then it's panis. Come means together. Panis means bread. When you come together over bread, those are your companions. Right? So you actually participate in giving approval and love and sharing time and expression with people you care about by saying, hey, let's go to Chipotle. It makes a difference. God meets us where we're at by grace. He wants us to know him. He loves us in the everyday stuff of life. So through meals, Jesus says, the son of man has come eating and drinking. Companionship. Let's hang. I want to show you grace, not based off your merit, not even based off the food, but it's who I am and what I want to do through that time together. And I love this because God oftentimes relates to us through food and this concept, these word pictures. Right now, I'm studying tonight Leviticus chapter 1 through 7, Exodus, this altar, and these feasts. And in the Old Testament, there are so many parties and feasts. Did you know that? 
It's just like amazing. Like, why are all these holidays and feasts and festivals? Actually, when we talk about heaven in our future, there's going to be a great feast in heaven. Like, God has to do some important work in our life to show us their significance in meals, in food. So much so, he gives us even word pictures of himself and says, like, you know how you have an appetite and you go and get food and then you got to eat it again? Like, Wouldn't it be better if you knew that there's more to your body than just the physical? There's spiritual. And you know how you have that appetite? You have a spiritual appetite. So why don't you come to me? I'm the bread of heaven. You could partake of me, be satisfied, and you can always keep coming back. I'm available. He he would do certain things, word pictures, come on our level to teach us things. And now he literally is saying the son of man, which is a messianic title, has come eating and drinking. I want you to think about that real quick, that the God that made everything probably ate a terrible homemade meal. He, he, he dumbed it down. It wasn't just lobsters and steak for Jesus. He actually came, had a system, had a body that had to process food, maybe even have an upset stomach. I wonder if Jesus threw up before. This is the man, the son of man, the Messiah that came eating and drinking. And there was a sacrifice to that physical body because he had to come through a virgin birth, being born as a baby, growing in stature, wisdom, nature. He's doing a lot of work to give us this real life example that we may never never even thought of. Fully God, now being fully man. Why? To express love and to seek and save sinners lost people, to be giving glory to God. So he became a man, lived a perfect life, died for our sins, rose again. Why? To be with us. The Son of God came eating and drinking, and now he's expressing a little bit of that love, and religious leaders are like, I don't like that. I don't think we get to dictate who we like or what we like about God. God speaks. So when he speaks, he brings forth life. And this is who he says he is. And he has spoken, not now through the prophets and scripture, but the father says, now I've spoken through my son. Listen to him. How are we listening? Do we just think that we come to the word of God and just listen by a verse? Or is Jesus really alive? Does he show up in ordinary places outside of these, what we would call holy moments? Doesn't he purify everything? To the pure, all things are pure, and he walks in the mess of stuff and the real life of stuff. And you may think, well, that's not really like holy or spiritual. Neither is eating or drinking. But yet he somehow knows how to redeem that and use that to give himself glory. He could use weak people like us to bring himself glory. And so we have a spirit, we have a soul, we have a body. We tend to always focus on the spirit, but the soul and the body are important. God made our DNA. We all aren't the same. We're going to get resurrected bodies. Food is neither good or bad, but it is a tool, sort of like money, and it just depends on how you use it. And Jesus used this thing of food and meals, an ordinary, everyday thing of substance, to literally love people. Now, one of the greatest overlooked strategies of Jesus was eating meals with people to make disciples. Let me give you a fuller picture of the gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus eats 
with the tax collectors and sinners at the home of Levi, a.k.a. Matthew. In this section, Luke chapter 7, Jesus is anointed at the, at the home of Simon and the Pharisees during a meal, and that's why the Pharisees are questioning him, debating him. But then Jesus goes on in Luke chapter 9. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Luke chapter 10, Jesus eats in the home of Martha and Mary. Luke chapter 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and the teachers of the law at a meal. Luke chapter 14, Jesus is at a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to their meals rather than just their friends. Luke chapter 19, Jesus invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 22, we have this account of the Last Supper. Luke chapter 24, the risen King Jesus has a meal with two disciples on the road of Emmaus. And then later he eats some fish with the disciples in Jerusalem. Now one scholar, one theologian, Robert Carus, he concludes this. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Have you thought about that lately? This is actually written down so you would know who God is, and a lot of scripture is centered around a meal in the gospel of Luke because Jesus did ministry at many meals because meals are a perfect part of our everyday life. I love this. One theologian and chef, uh, how you combine those two? By the grace of God. Simon Carey Holt, he says this, it's good to be reminded that the table is a very ordinary place a place of routine, and every day it's easily overlooked as a place of ministry. Tim Chester in his book, Mills with Jesus, he says this, Mills bring mission into the ordinary, but that's, what, that's where most people are, living in the ordinary. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. God wants us to love people to make disciples in the everyday stuff of life. And meals were a big deal, not only to him, but to the Christian community as the church was birthed in Acts. Yes, they were gathering together and commune with God, devoting themselves to prayer and the apostles' doctrine. But what were they doing together often? Breaking bread together? So often we think of church as a gathering and rather than the people of God. And sometimes we actually can stunt our growth because we just have God in a Sunday space rather than inviting him in our everyday life of community, of breaking bread with brothers and sisters throughout the week and praying and ministry and studying scripture and incorporating Jesus at the center of everything, not just a service. You see, we can use meals to be on mission just like Jesus. Jesus calls us to love people, and we need to love like him through meals, through the ordinary, the everyday stuff of life. You realize that some people will never go to church and have no clue who God is or how he acts. But Jesus said, so the Father sent me, now I send you. Go. As I left heaven, a holy place, to go to a broken place. Leave this holy place and go to the broken places. Share meals, eat, drink, invade space because the spirit of God, Jesus, he lives inside of you. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world, but guess what? You are the light of the world. And so I wanna give you three ways to look at meals as opportunities for the gospel and discipleship as we sort of close. Some practical things, that's the theology of that statement. Let's dive deeper in now of how do we practice and 
put this into our lives. Three ways we can use meals as opportunities for the gospel and discipleship. One is use meals for community and conversation. Use meals for community and conversation. Community is a real need. Relationship. We were made for relationship. And not just you, everyone. The Bible says that all humans were made in the image of God. God is a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. There was perfect love and unity before we even existed. And God said, let us make them like us. People need community, relationship. God wants us to be in community. That's why in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, he even tells us as his beloved children, so don't neglect the gathering of the saints. Like, get together so you can spur one another on in your faith, doing good deeds and works. Like, this is an important part of your faith, but you can actually do this. Now, this is also a little hard because meals foster relationship and community, but meals also force you to be people-oriented rather than task-oriented. You still, you have to be still and have fellowship. Mills are a natural force of conversation that builds community, but oftentimes, I don't know about you, but especially as a guy, I like hiding behind a project or a doing or a task. It's easier sometimes to build relationships if you're doing something, work with your hands. But when you're just like sitting next to a table with someone, like there ain't nothing to do but eat and talk. And I think, I wrote this down during worship, I think some of us don't embrace this because it's hard for you. It's actually hard for you to do this. The Lord wants you to know you can. One of the reasons it's hard for you is because he says, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. When you go to God and cleanse your heart and make Jesus a center of your life, out of your heart, your mouth will speak and ministry will become now an overflow. And for some of you, ministry hasn't been an overflow. And you've been hiding behind projects and tasks and religiosity and all these other things. Don't. Be yourself. Go to God. Get cleansed from your heart from the inside out and let ministry flow. You know, when you want to get to know someone, what do you do? Hey, will you go out with me? Let's have a meal together. Let's share life. You know, the way that we commune with God is really listening from his word and his spirit and, and praying and talking with him. It, it's conversation. We need to be good listeners, good hearers, asking questions, quick to hear, slow to speak. And it forces us to build our character. Oftentimes, we don't have a, want to have a meal with someone because it actually reflects more about us than them. We don't want to answer the hard questions to really confess our sin and be known. But this, using meals for community and conversation, is one of the means that God's grace to build your faith, to minister to people. Why? Because it's a great opportunity to love people. When you focus on people and you're loving for them, it's important. And, and we're able to love people through conversation and community and using a meal in two ways. One, with our words, because now being redeemed and having a clean heart and filling our, our heart full of God's word and his truth, we can speak forth life into people. Proverbs sixteen twenty four says, Gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the body. Just as God spoke and it became life, you can speak truth 
and God's word into people and bring them life. Power and life are in the tongue. But the Bible says for us to use our tongue, even though it's powerful and can cause harm, to use it for good. To be redeemed and and to understand that we can use our words. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29, speaking to us, you just went through this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Grace and truth. It's a beautiful thing. But you know what? We not only just speak words and spew out stuff to people in a meal, we just take time because we listen and we receive and let people speak into us. You see, having a meal with people is a great opportunity to love people, not only with our words, but with our time. I'm still blown away because I always mention it, and I feel like this example should just go away after years of preaching, but I feel like I've been saying this for like forever. When you ask someone how they're doing, you know the common response that I get is? Busy. Bro, that ain't like, that's, you didn't answer that. Hey, how you doing? Busy. So are you good in that busy? Are you bad in that busy? Like, but the common response, have you known, have you found out, especially in Florida, or where you go like young college career, you're just boom, boom, you're pounding, you're hitting it, you're going, you're busy. What a gift time is to give to people then. In a culture that overworks, overprocess, overdoing, where we stop, be still, Know that he is God, that he could work in my life so much that ministry can now flow, and I'm going to give you the gift of my life. I'm just going to spend time with you. Okay, you're, you're busy. But listen, more and more people aren't eating together, families, because everyone's busy. I don't know about you, but when I was younger, before I was married, I used to hate Friday and Saturday nights. Why? Because I ain't got no plans. I can cover up. My junk, if I'm just doing stuff and keeping busy. But when I slow down, I'm like, dang, sitting here on a Saturday night watching Star Trek. I ain't got no life, man. But I remember when my friends would be like, yo, you want to go play basketball? You want to go do this? You want to go see a movie? You want to go have a meal? It would be like cold water to my desert soul. Because I'd be like, wow, someone cares. They think I'm valuable enough to spend time with me. And if we want to speak words of life into people, it's commonly said, people don't care how much you know unless they know how much you care. So when you say, let's spend time and you care about them, they're more receptive to hear your words because it's a loving thing to do. It's not just what we do, but it's how we do it. We need to love people. And with the mill and fellowship, they can know that they're loved. They're able to speak life into them. And so... Make sure that you're cleansing your heart. You're prayed up. I, we used to have a ministry of open mic night, uh, downtown Delray, planning the church. And, you know, getting off work, we used to pray and then go down because we wanted to just have conversations and share Jesus and the gospel. Or like, you know, you do these big events or even church events or, you know, pre-service prayer before the meeting and do this. But how often do we just go into a meal prayed up? Like, Lord, I love these people and I care for them. Would you give me the words to bless them? Would you, would you help me to speak love into their lives? Would you give me a word of knowledge to know the things I need to say? Like, how often do we just stop and say, God, this is a part of your mission. I want to be intentional. This is a holy place. This is a part of the process of even praying before a meal. So use meals to build community, to have conversation. Don't hide behind these things. 
But next, use meals to celebrate. Like, use them. Work them. It's a strategy. It's a tool. It's not God. So any point, at any moment of your life, throw good parties. Christians, we got something to celebrate. Like, I've been to two parties this week. I mean, this is that type of culture we have in our church. People have a birthday, they throw in a party. Uh, people, <laughs> people find their dog, they have in a party. They're just doing whatever they can to have a party to rejoice. But the reality is, think about it, isn't, some, isn't salvation worth rejoicing? Entering his courts with thanksgiving in your heart. We come to this holy space expecting and celebrating what Jesus has done, how he has died and he is alive, and we sing out praises to his name. Does salvation just stop on a Sunday gathering or a morning? No. We have something to rejoice about, to be excited, and culturally speaking, we celebrate with a meal when there is a holiday or festival. Like when I say Thanksgiving, what's the food item you're thinking of? Turkey. Now, Christmas, there could be debate. You could throw a ham in there too. You know what I'm saying? But what do we do on certain holidays? We have great and big meals. We stop work. We have people around us and care about us and show. Can I just propose to you that every day is a holy day for you, Christian? Holiday, holy day. It's set apart. You have purpose. You have, God has a plan for your life. You can actually Use meals and celebrate and show people love. This is why I think Jesus celebrated a lot with people in the gospel, and it was good. In Luke chapter 5, I'll just give you one example. This person got saved, and he celebrated. Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 29. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Jesus said to Levi, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him, and Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and other, others rec, uh, reclining at the table with him. Some people think being a Christian is a killjoy, but Jesus said, I've come so they may have life and life abundantly. Like, we can actually have joy in the midst of our pain, because no one will be able to snatch or take us away from our salvation. Jesus said, you're in my hand, nothing about it. No one can mess with that. And this is why the Old Testament celebrates a lot. Deuteronomy 14, 26 says, And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. Invite people over, celebrate God's goodness, praise God for taste buds, and start putting a smile on your face. I don't know if you know this, Christian, but you should tell your face that you are happy. Okay? I don't know why people are just down and out, not celebrating. Listen, here's something crazy. It's about God's grace. I love my family. We have people over all the time. And one strategy, one thing you would think, it's just by God's grace. My, my, my wife, uh, she snorts when she laughs. You know, she's one of those people. Super cute. It's awesome. Um, sometimes my daughter tells me more often than not, like, Dad, close your mouth. You smack when you eat. Like, okay, that's embarrassing. Uh, and then even especially when my children were little, because, you know, they're perfect now. They're teenagers, so they know everything, and they're perfect. But when they were little, they used to fight. That's what I'm bringing in when I say, hey, come on over. Come on over to my uh, smacking, my wife snorting, and my kids fighting. 
And you know what's beautiful about that is we're celebrating not because of our behavior or what we've done. We're celebrating God's grace. We're celebrating love, that he's put us together, that we have life. It's not about us. We have these flaws, but it's about God that we celebrate. So we don't have to have our life all together to celebrate and invite people in. In fact, this is why we say a prayer before every meal culturally in Jesus' name. Or some of you grew up saying grace before a meal because it was God's grace that he provided this food. And it's God's grace that we can love one another and be our imperfect self, and God still loves us. So thank you, Jesus, for meeting us in this moment and giving us taste buds and friends and family, and we just rejoice and we want to celebrate and let's eat a man. This could be used for God's glory and ministry, and it's actually a daily reminder of his goodness. Lastly, use meals to care for people. Use meal, so we, we can use meals for community, and we do that by conversation. We use meals to celebrate, but you can use meals to care for people. Sometimes we forget, in this world, people go hungry. This is very close to my heart, and it's in Scripture over and over again, how we are to love people and feed people in their need. And people need food, and we can minister through food and through meals. The Old Testament is... Tons of verses. Let me give you just one through the New Testament, 1 John 3, 17 and 18. It says, but if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. James 2, 15 and 16 talk about that as well. We should be providing and can provide very practical needs to those that are hungry through food and love people. And oftentimes we forget because our pantries are full and our stomachs are full. But God even says that we can love our enemies by sharing a meal with them or sharing food with them. Romans 12, 20 and 21, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If if he is thirsty, give him something to eat. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, we've been a church plant now and sort of matured, even though we're still living by faith. We've been blessed to be able to have internships, train leaders, and send people out. One of the churches we sent out locally and train is Pastor Will at Proclaim Church. They live in Lantana, and they have a food distribution. They partner with Boca Helping Hands, And um, on Saturdays, they give out thousands of pounds of food every Saturday. A few years ago, we helped them launch a hot food program uh, where they have cars just line up. And you just say, I want three, I want two, I want seven. And they're referring to hot meals. Uh, Boca Helping Hands, their team make the meals. They drive over to Lantana. They serve them. You give uh, love and care, and you just give out these meals. They were, uh, right before summer, giving out every single Friday in our community, it's not far, it's a 15-minute drive from here. We like to plan our, our planners close so we're in a relationship. Uh, they were giving out over 300 meals every Friday. Let's not forget that actually people need food to survive. And we can just throw a lot of doctrine at them, but the reality is, is there are people in our community, even in Boca, which I know is super expensive to live, but there are people that need help. 
And you can use meals for ministry to care for people by feeding their stomachs and their physical body, but also not just to feed them physically, but to feed them emotionally and spiritually by making people welcome. You can use meals to care for people by welcoming people into your life. You know, there's nothing worse than going to a new place and not feeling welcome, being on the outside. I mean, if you've ever gone to a new church, you know this. It's a little weird, right? Everyone's smiling, shaking hands, and you're like, oh, my gosh, is the place going to burn down? What's going to happen? I don't know. No one's saying hi. What's going on? You just feel anxious. You feel worried. You feel just stressed, and oh, I don't know they're going to like me or whatever, and it just makes all the difference if you just go, hey, how's it going? I'm Daniel. Who are you? And you just smile at someone. You welcome them. You care about them. We open up our homes and our lives to people, and we can welcome them, and it really is a loving thing. And let me just say this, hospitality is a big deal for Christianity. It's a big deal. In fact, it's a requirement for a pastor or an elder because they are supposed to be the examples to the body. This is one of the requirements is your, are your elders, are your pastors, leaders and examples of loving people and, and, and opening up their home and giving their lives? Hospitality is to, part, to be a part of our conduct. Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of saints and seek to show hospitality. Hebrews 13, 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers and thereby have some entertained angels unaware. 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Invite people, include them, love them through hospitalities, through hosting meals for people, to welcoming in them. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells a parable of inviting people to a feast is like heaven. So God on earth as it is in heaven. Would you like to come over to my house for a feast? Let's bring in the kingdom of God into a reality and give people a foretaste of the ultimate feast of heaven and true love and grace shown as we care for them by just simply welcoming them with a meal. Now I'll close with this. Meals can create opportunity for mission because you can love people through meals. Meals can be a theology that you can see. We are to practice our faith even through the ordinary of meals. So I just want to close by challenging you to be on mission with meals. Like you're, you're already eating this week, unless you're fasting and not telling anyone, which is great. But eventually you're going to eat again. So you can have like a week or two off, maybe three at tops. This ain't the 21 day, days of prayer and fasting yet, all right? We're eating. We're some, it's, it's, you know, it's getting into a new rhythm, a, a fall, going back into school. How about in your rhythm, starting in the fall, when your kids are going back to school, you would take time, maybe at work, to invite a coworker to eat lunch with you. That's it. You don't even have to have a Bible study. Just, what about that? Or, or maybe next week you talk to someone after service and you say, hey, next week after Sunday, let's go out to lunch. How about you, knowing you have a home, host a party for people? Or matter of fact, maybe you don't like to host. Have a potluck. I don't even want to cook, but you can come over, use my space, and just make some food for me. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> be intentional. Be smart about it. What about taking someone out to a coffee? Maybe go to Maine Coffee, run into Ben. Or what about this? Ladies, I know you like this. What about a fine dine restaurant? Honey, we got God's grace. 
let's go drop a note. <laughs> right? It's biblical. I mean, we just did the Bible study, right? Taking someone out to a nice meal, making a homemade meal, throwing parties for the gospel. Listen, why do we do these things? Because we can use these meals and foods to foster community, to have conversation, to really celebrate God's grace, and to lovingly care for people. Be prayerful. Use meals to love people, to disciple people, just as Jesus did. For the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you'll see in your life, as Jesus said in this text, so wisdom is justified by all her children. The proof's in the pudding, man. Try it out. Be intentional. Pray before a meal. Start using this as a strategy to reach people. Get involved in the Alpha program. See how powerful it is when a group of community just like host a meal, rely on the Holy Spirit, and let people talk. It's incredible. And so our God is so amazing, he can use anything like a meal, and he could use anything like people like you and me. The ordinary, everyday stuff of life, Jesus sets us up for victory and enjoy the process doing it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace, for, Lord, being able to gather again. We continue to pray, Lord, that you would put it on our hearts to hear from you. God, as we take time just to sing one last song and communion with you in the process and just to uh, enjoy your presence. I pray that you would fill those that are hungry. And there may be some that are, are hungry spiritually for God, but you may have not received Jesus. You may have, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, belonging. And I just want to invite you and let you know Jesus said he is the bread of life. He is the true substance that you need. The Bible says that he, being God, knew no sin, Jesus, but he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. You can have salvation. You can have spiritual birth. You can be fed and satisfied in Jesus. And the Bible says if you call out upon him, if you receive him, if you partake in him, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you shall be saved. I want to invite those that are maybe watching online or in the room that have never given their life to Jesus. Would you receive the love that he has for you? The true bread, the living God. He wants to know you. He's come. He's real. He's alive. He gives salvation. If you want a relationship with him, just cry out to him now. Say, Jesus, I welcome you. God, I receive your love. I, I repent of my sin. I want to turn from being satisfied from the world, our sin, our desires, and repent and turn to you, God. Would you make me born again? Would you forgive my sin? Could I have that joy that you speak about and promise? And these promises are yes and amen in Jesus. And Christian, you may have done that before, a one-time initial thing, but the reality of the Christian life is we depend on Christ over and over again, just as you eat over and over again. May you have an appetite to go to him. May you go to him as we sing in song and prayer and repent again and say, Jesus, I need you again. Don't feel ashamed. This is what he gave a picture to us to continually go to him. The Bible says, if you abide in Christ, you will bear much fruit. Take this opportunity as we close to abide in him, to call out his name, to praise him, to enjoy him, to celebrate him, 
to just be in his presence. What a blessing that is. And it's all by his grace. And the body of Christ says, amen.